death is not death. In this place, life is fleeting. To whomever might find this lore, I can but only provide you with one advice. Always move forward. This is what keeps me alive and have so for a while. If I were to advise further, I would suggest that you harvest every forsaken location for anything that might thwart the horrors that lurk within. And keep an eye on the gates. If they open, you must flee. I hope my scribbles have not been in vain. If you find this lore, make use of it and pass it on. If you find my body, bury it. Benedict Baker's Journal, November 1896. And welcome to Navi Tales. I'm Josh. I am Nick. And we're frustrated. <laughs> yeah, you could. That's putting it fucking lightly. Certain companies that rhyme with Mew are kind of a pain in the ass when it comes to their technical service. Yeah. So. You just have a simple job and you can't do it twice in a row. So we're a little bit frustrated, a little bit. A little bit bummed. It's a little bit of fucking everything. So, strap in for this one, folks, because today we're doing Dead by Daylight. <laughs> um, I've played, you haven't. It's actually free this month. Yeah, I saw that. I was like, wow, I, I didn't. <laughs> look have, at that timing. Look at that timing. I had nothing to do with that. Um, yeah, if you have PlayStation Plus, it's free. Yeah, if you listen to this. The month of August 2018. Yeah. If you're listening through backlogs, sorry you missed out. It's a pretty good game. You missed it. It's a fun game. Uh, I've played a lot of it. Uh, but I also am a giant horror fanatic, so this is right up my alley. Yeah. Obviously, I play as the killer. Um, which should come as a shocker to no one. So the story begins with the... or. So this story begins best with the in-game storyteller, Benedict Baker. In 1956, Baker began searching in a town called Weeks, a place in America with an unusual amount of missing persons reports. Despite having 364 active reports, nobody had ever been discovered. Days later, Baker began to see Weeks for what it was, a ghost town full of abandoned buildings. After learning that the events in Weeks seemingly led back to the Macmillan estate, the former heart of Weeks, Baker searched for police reports and complaints, but came up empty with no legal action reports. An unknown time later, Baker reports awakening in a strange place with no memory of how he arrived at the location. Last recalling, heading towards the, Mac the Macmillan uh, estate on foot, Baker describes his visceral experience as having a seemingly never-ending fire burning in beside him, surrounded by woodlands. After this, Baker dubs his experience to be post-awakening. After this post-awakening, all of Baker's entries begin to read 1896, even though early in the journal he clearly stated that he begun his journey in 1956. Unaware of his psychological state of mind, Baker attempted to hike his way out of the woods to no avail. Baker's attempts to escape the woods brought him closer to a nameless terror which stalks the darkness, a horrid shadow. Baker also recalls seeing the entity personifying it to pluck those who fall into its path, trapping them in a grim repeat of life and death. 
The Entity is a nameless evil that lives in the space between our world and our imagination, the kind of place only reveled in dreams. To eat, the Entity reaches out into the hearts of uh, susceptible victims and corrupts them into performing hideous acts of violence, because the only way for it to manifest itself in the real world is through an act of violence so extreme that it results in fatalities. Once this event has taken place, the Entity has a handhold into our world being able to pull people through this weak spot into its own nightmarish construct, the realms of the entity. The first victims are the corrupted ones, those pushed to do the deeds that summoned this ancient evil in the first place, the killers. Prey for the entity comes in the form of the uh, uncorrupted victims or the survivors. Normal people who stumble into these corrupted areas are pulled through by the entity with no memory of how it happened. Once they awaken by the campfire in the nightmare, there is no escape for them anymore. The entity builds a reflection of the real world in its con constructs to confuse the survivors. Unable, though, to really understand the true nature of the world it touches, it tries to replicate it as best it can, although it never quite gets it right. As a result, the world is an ever-changing, nightmarish fusion of familiar and strange elements as the entity makes up what it cannot comprehend. In this bizarre world, there are several familiar parts. The maps and their realms are based on the world it infects, and there are strange mechanical generators that the survivors can power up to open two exit gates. If they succeed, they will escape, although only back to the campfire that they started from. The entity needs each survivor to feel hope that there might be a way out of the construct. It is only through this hope that it can feed. Feeding comes in the form of the terrible sacrifice. It is through this bizarre ritual that the entity can extract the nourishment it needs to increase its power. Its eventual goal is to consume the world, and each sacrifice plays a part in that growth. With each passing death, a little of the survivor's soul is lost. Eventually, all hope evaporates and the survivor becomes less and less useful to the entity, slowly devolving into a cold and emotionless shell. These lost survivors, whose hope has since left them, uh, eventually become what they once feared so much, the very killers that hunted them. And now we're going to talk about the killers. So we're going to begin with the trapper. Uh, and I go, I'm going into the lore of each individual one because there's deep lore for each one fucking apparently it's dope actually it, like if you like horror stuff it's really really good lore so the trapper uh evan macmillian idolized his father it wasn't just that he was heir to a great fortune it was that he ran the estate raised under his firm hand evan had taken to running the workforce with an iron fist production was always high and the macmillian estate prospered under father and son as Archie Macmillan's mental health slowly disintegrated, Evan protected him from the herd who wanted a piece of the fortune. No matter what his father asked of him, Evan would do. When Archie Macmillan finally snapped, Evan became his enforcer in what would become known as the worst mass murder in modern history. They never proved that Evan led over a hundred men into those dark tunnels before detonating the explosives and sealing them into, the, into their fate. The tale of the Macmillan estate is a tale of wealth and power gone very wrong. How many victims fell to the hands of father and son is unknown. No record is ever made of what became of Evan Macmillan. 
His father is another unsolved puzzle, found trapped in the locked basement of his own warehouse, starved and abandoned. Ooh. Spooky. So next we come to the Wraith. Philip Ojomo came to this country without anything other than hope for a new beginning. He was happy as he got offered a job at Autohaven Wreckers, a small scrapyard where bribed cops turned a blind eye for the somewhat shady business that took place. Ojomo didn't care. He had seen criminal activity up close in his homeland, and as long as he didn't get involved, he let things be. He just fixed cars and handled the crusher, something he did really well. A car went in, and a small metallic cube came out. It was not until one gloomy day that he, just by accident, saw some blood coming from one of the uncrushed cars. As he opened the trunk, he found a young man, gagged and with tied hands and with panic-filled eyes. Ojomo freed the man who managed to run ten feet before Ojomo's boss stopped him and slit his throat. As Ojomo demanded answers, Hiyad explained to him that he'd been nothing more than a simple executioner, as more or less every car had a soul in them, as this was their service the scrapyard provided to certain clients. Ojomo snapped and went ballistic. He threw his boss into the crusher and let it slowly compress. As the head stuck out, Ojomo grabbed it and pulled the head and spine out of the body. Then he left and was never seen again. Finally, for the vanilla killer, uh, for the vanilla killers, we have the hillbilly. The son of wealthy landowners Max Thompson Sr. and Evelyn Thompson, this unnamed boy was an unwanted child born to savage parents. Hideously disfigured, he was shut away from society. So ashamed of their boy, they bricked him off into a room and fed him through a hole in the wall. When the boy escaped, he took his revenge savagely and terribly, slaughtering the parents that had tortured him instead of raising him. After the deed was done, he continued to live his life at the farm, taking out his deranged violence on the animals that were allowed to run free. As he finally broke free from his shackles, he ran through the cornfield, chasing and slaughtering whatever he could find. They never found the bodies of Max and Evelyn, but they did find tortured and disemboweled animals all over the farm. Coldwind Farm was quickly settled, and the land split up and sold off. There was never a buyer for the farmhouse. Perhaps it was the sound of the chainsaw you could hear through those hot summer nights. So now we're going to talk about the survivors. So first we have Dwight Fairfield. Dwight was geeky and scrawny through high school. He always wanted to be one of the cool kids, but somehow never had the charisma. Fucking didn't roll well enough. <laughs> Maybe he should have played my warlock. Um, he tried out for the football team, but was cut. The basketball team didn't even take a look, and his grades were distinctly below average. One weekend on a team-building exercise from his dead-end job, Dwight's boss led them deep into the woods before breaking out his family recipe moonshine. Do- <laughs> I feel like I just naturally was like moonshine. Moonshine. Dwight remembered taking the first sip before waking up late the next morning all alone. During the night, the others had abandoned him. Once again, the laughingstock of the community, Dwight tried to hike his way out of the woods. That was the last anyone ever heard of Dwight Fairfield. Dwight isn't the typical guy you think of when someone says survivor. He lacks that certain pizzazz, and without his glasses, he's more or less blind to resonate. But as the sun sets and the woods come alive, Dwight clasps to his rat race life, 
making sure that he'll live to see another day even though something unimaginable is after him. Dwight won't stop. He'll survive no matter what. As others spent hours being seen in high school, he spent hours becoming invisible and avoiding danger. And it doesn't matter if it's dangers in the hallway or dangers in the woods. Survival is key. As other employees panic when terror infects them, Dwight makes use of his disturbing teen experience. The tables have now turned, and now others need to follow Dwight's firm directions there to survive. He knows how to disappear. Now we have Meg Thompson. Shut up, Meg. <laughs> Perhaps it was her mother that had instilled the fierce streak in her, or maybe it was her father that left them when she was a baby. Meg excelled at schoolwork, but she was off the rails. Fortunately, an athletics coach encouraged her to channel her misspent energy on the track. She motivated herself into becoming a high school star and earned a scholarship to college. When her mother fell ill, Meg decided to give up her chance at college to care for the woman who had raised her. One summer's day, on a long run deep in the woods, Meg vanished. Search as they did, they never found her body. Meg is one of those who is just simply filled with energy. Unfocused and uncontrollable energy that has to come out. As a kid, it came through rowdiness and rebellion. Someone had to focus Meg before something went terribly wrong. Fortunately, someone did. She started to run. Maybe from something undefined that fueled her energy. So, to run equaled life. But to run now might attract those beings that crave the pain of others. But as she runs from something, instead of towards it, she understands something. She understands that speed is not of the essence. It's reaching the finish line. Rather last, but still breathing. She deludes whatever is out there as she glides through obstacle and fear, thus managing. Next, we have Claudette Morrow. Claudette. She, by the way, Claudette. Is broken survivor in the game right now oh good um from the day her parents gave claudette uh her first science kit she loved experiments her single-minded pursuit led to an early scholarship at a great college it was a huge decision to leave montreal but the chance was too good to pass up her introverted nature means that chat rooms and forums are now her best source of social interaction her new favorite activity is to answer botany questions for others under her new moniker of Science Girl. One evening, during a long bus ride back from the city, Claudette took a stroll that would change her life. It only took a minute for her to get completely disoriented in the thick woods. She never found her way back. Her forum only started to wonder where she was a week after she stopped posting. Claudette is not the outgoing type. Her brilliance provided her with a social handicap, and she has fled the real world for chat rooms and forums. Botany and studies fill her life, and even though she yearns for something else, it won't come via a modem. Being thrown into a real-life situation can feel awkward and forced, but as she is used to shutting out the world, she suddenly finds hope in this unexplainable darkness that is slowly devouring her. A plant. A tree. A bush. Simple greenery that might save a life. She hides within and amongst them. Her knowledge and skills flourish as gruesomeness roams free around her. Next up, we got Jake Park. 
Growing up the son of a wealthy CEO was always going to put pressure on Jake Park. When his brother graduated with honors from Yale, the pressure on Jake intensified. Jake just wasn't the academic type, but his father never really understood his refusal to embrace the expensive education he lavished upon him. Eventually, Jake rebelled by dropping out of school entirely. Now Jake lives off the grid on the edge of the woods. It's been years since he spoke to his father, but his mother checks in on him once in a while. It was she who eventually called the police. The cops said he got lost in the woods and a search party looked for days, but gave up as bad weather rolled in. Despite passionate pleas from his mother, they never resumed the search and Jake went down in history as another casualty of the woods. Jake's destiny was set even inside his mother's womb. Heir to wealth, noble manners, and caretaker of the family reputation and legacy. During torture, it's not pain that breaks a man. It's immense pressure. And Jake couldn't handle any more pressure. Instead, he sought the opposite of fine dining and maids. He left the grid and ended up with a forest as his closest neighbor. A self-made outsider, Jake understands nature. He's not there to tame something, rather him becoming feral. Remove the brutal killers that seek out blood to drain and Jake would feel just at home. No Wi-Fi, no Fortune 500 companies, no father, nor mother. Years away from modern life has given Jake a new feel for problems. Pain is just an obstacle that hinders you from getting fed. No matter what is hunting you, you need to stay one step ahead. Struggle, blend in, adapt. Just don't make it easy for others to erase you from the Earth's surface. So now we're going to dive into the first chapter. Uh, DLC in Dead by Daylight is broken up by chapter. Um, and chapter one is known as The Last Breath. And the killer for this chapter is The Nurse. Sally Smithson came to town with dreams of children's feet and laughter in a wooden home built by her husband, Andrew. But life came not with smiles, but with plans of destruction. Andrew worked as a lumberjack, a job with its perils. One day, Andrew's foreman had to pay Sally a visit, forever changing her life. She was alone. Without food on the table and no other option, Sally had to find a way, but the only employment she could get was at the Crotus Pren Asylum. Nobody sought employment there unless they were in dire need, just like Sally. Without an education, she started at the bottom, doing the hard night shift. Over the years, her mind had reached its limits. Two decades of seeing horrid things that violate the eyes. Memories that are replayed every night. Being abused verbally and physically by people without limits. Sally saw insanity from the outside just to catch it herself. Finally, she could not take it anymore, and concepts of purification emerged inside of her. She did what she felt was necessary. As the morning staff arrived one day in September, they found over 50 dead patients, lifeless in their bed, along four staff members, also dead. Only Sally had survived the night, but her mind was gone, rocking back and forth nonstop. Exactly what happened is only known by her, but it seems that some of them had been choked as they had marks around their necks. They got her into an ambulance, but that ambulance never reached the hospital. It was found crashed in a nearby woods, all the staff dead, 
and Sally, nowhere to be found. Also a huge fan of what the nurse looks like in this, because doctors and nurses scare the shit out of me, because I'm a big bitch. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the survivor for this chapter is uh, Nia Carson. Carlson. Carlson. Sorry. Nia is of Swedish descent, a tagger, and a bit of a troublemaker. She started rebelling when she was 16. She dyed her hair black, listened to my chem, and cut it in a way she liked it. <laughs> that doesn't come there. I fucking <laughs> need to give a shout out to the concept of oddly specific t-shirts. Oh, yeah. I found a website that sells them, and I'm in fucking love, Nick. Like, the one that says, Scooby-Doo, where are you? And I'm so sorry. I cannot breathe. I cannot something. What's the words? I I know what you mean, yeah. It's ones like that, like, Holly, where is my chemical romance? Like, outrageous shirts that just say things like that. I'm in fucking love with it. Yeah, they're pretty fucking funny. I, I gotta show you some more after this. They're great. Anyway, that just got reminded me of it because my cam is a big joke in them. Um, in her early teens, her parents thought she lacked that thing that makes everyone else quote unquote normal. She may have gone too far when her friends, not thinking well, dared her to tag the old asylum. She was never seen again and now tries her best to survive the entity's daughter. The daughters. I mean, it is the it is the nurse. Yeah. So um, it kind of works in this DLC. She dangers. Was, dangers, not daughters. Entities dangers. Moving on. Nia grew up in the small town of Hijo in Sweden. She had a happy childhood, even though her mom and dad worked hard. As the opportunity to move to the U.S. became a reality, she started acting out. Her parents didn't really pick up on this as a reaction to their move. Nia was forced to leave her friends and life behind. Nia shied away. Nia shied away from what her parents considered normal. Instead, she took refuge in skate parks and her tag Mashtix, spelt mash like the potato and ticks like T-Y-X, was seen more or less all over her new hometown. And Nia made a sport out of tacking government buildings. Finally, Nia's parents became used to Nia disappearing for a few days on end. As she's nimble and almost cat-like, she's able to evade de- deadly dangers. Years on skateboards has proven worthy training. And keeping her head down, avoiding the fuzz, can be applied to all dangers. The only question is whether she has some interest in not giving up. We're about to dive into something, and I want to preface this. I... It's no secret if you've listened to this podcast on anything horror-related that I'm obsessed with horror movies. Halloween is what started that. My dad let me watch Halloween when I was way too fucking young. I'm I'm saying six years old I watched Halloween for the first time. Um, And if you know my dad, that sounds about right. Yeah. But, like, not outwardly. Like, if I told my dad's peers, like, Dad let me watch Halloween when I was six... They'd be baffled. But like, if you know my dad, sounds about right. So, um, the face of fear in my childhood was Michael Myers. It just always, I've met the actor who played Michael. I've, uh, a couple years ago went and saw a special edition of Halloween that had a documentary attached with it in theaters with my dad. It was the first time I was thinking I was 22, 23. 
I think it was the first time I watched Halloween with my dad since I was six. It was amazing. I'm a huge fan of this franchise. Uh, I, it's just really close to my heart. It's second only to Beauty and the Beast with me. And if you know me, I have a giant Beauty and the Beast tattoo on my left arm. So without further ado, we're going to dive into chapter two, Halloween, and begin with the shape. Um, the reason he's called the shape in this is because in the original credits for Halloween, he's not, the actor isn't called Michael Myers. He's called the shape. Um, just a fun fact. So we begin with the shape. Some humans are simply bad seeds, seeds infused with a distilled and pure form of evil. Michael Myers is one of those seeds. He had no issue with causing the pain of others. Instead, it was exactly what he sought. But even life can be tough on those with minds filled with terror. The difference is just how one goes about to solve those problems. For Michael, he had to kill to find some inner peace. As he took his sister's life, the police found a silent boy dressed as a clown at the scene. When one stumbles upon a growing fire, one does not pour gasoline on it. But this was an action taken by officials that had no idea how it would shape this demon in the, bo in the boy's body. Sending Michael to a mental institution was a feeble attempt to save the child. Unsuccessful therapy and nightly screams just made him even more introverted and deranged. People hoped that Michael Myers would end up a parenthesis, soon to be forgotten and buried. A failure that soon would rot, were to rot away, but then he escaped. And then the survivor for the Halloween chapter is none other than Laurie Strode. You never know what really matters in life until you've realized it might end soon. Laurie is one of those who just wants a quiet life in the suburbs, hanging out with friends, family, and maybe going on a date or two. Laurie is a typical teenager. You could pass her on the street and not think twice. She does her homework and is liked by her friends, teachers, and family. A simple night of babysitting turns into something that will forever change the course of her young life. A knife swooshing through the air, screams from afar, noises that play tricks with her mind. But not Lordy. She's made of something stronger. Something that won't give up. I love those movies so much. I can't wait. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to the new one. It was made with uh, John Carpenter being entirely involved in it. Nice. And... It's going to be a direct sequel to the first one, the very first one, yeah. including the return of an adult Laurie Strode. Nice. I'm so fucking excited. So then we have chapter three, which is called "Of Flesh and Mud," uh, and the killer is the Hag. Lisa Sherwood grew up in a quiet village, mainly isolated from the rest of civilization. The people of the hamlet were kind, and the elders kept old traditions alive, often keeping the peace by personally settling the ever-rare disputes. Lisa was particularly fond of the charms they taught her to draw for safety and good fortune. One night, as she was walking home through the woods, a terrible storm struck without warning. Howling winds whipped at her hair as she stumbled through the swamp, her rain-drenched dress plastered to her skin. In the slick, wet mud, she lost her footing, careening backwards and striking her head against a rock. Slipping in and out of consciousness, she strained to identify the dark shapes approaching her from the, between the trees. That's the last thing she could remember. 
Her kidnappers kept her chained to the wall in a flooded cellar. Though dimly lit, she could see others whose large open wounds swarmed with flies. It took merely a day before they returned, carving chunks from the prisoners' bodies with rusted blades, consuming their very flesh down to the bone. Most she saw did not survive long once the cannibals targeted them, but somehow, deep within, Lisa persisted. Starved, infected, and mutilated after several weeks of torture, her gaunt arms became loose in their shackles. She pulled hard, the metal tearing through skin and muscle until she was free. Her flesh oozed viscous yellow pus, and bones were visible beneath gangrenous wounds. She could go no further. Delirious, she thought of home. She thought of the elders. With her dying breath, she etched the symbols they had taught her into the floor, using what remained of her fingers. Almost in response, a dark hunger stirred inside her. It yearned for blood. In oath, she chose vengeance. The village's search party eventually brought them to an old shack in the swamp. Inside, it previous, inside its previous inhabitants had been viciously dismembered and devoured by an unidentifiable animal. In the cellar, amid rotting corpses and dis disconnected flesh, the elders' charms were scratched in blood on the floor. Lisa's body was not among the bodies and was never found. The village was never the same again. And uh, finally, we get to the um, survivor for this chapter, Ace Visconti. Ace Visconti is one charming guy. With his sharp Italian looks, gray-streaked hair, and silver tongue, he could pass for an aging 50s movie star. His heart has always belonged to the cards, kind of like Yu-Gi-Oh. From, <laughs> from his roots as a poor boy in Argentina, he gambled, scammed, seduced, and smooth-talked his way to a life of luxury as a high roller in the land of opportunity. Despite money always having a way of slipping through his fingers, Ace always figured he could win more. He never fulfilled that ambition. Eventually, he racked up too many debts with the wrong kind of people. And when they finally came to collect, Ace was nowhere to be found. No one knew who tipped him off or where he fled to. But anyone who knew Ace Visconti can agree on one thing. He will survive against all odds. Yeehaw. Yeehaw. <laughs> Yee fucking haw. So yeah, that's uh, all the killers and survivors. Well, not all. Well, it's, it's all we the... have. But now we're gonna revisit the. We're gonna revisit the subject of Dead by Daylight sooner, than, or soonish. Uh, there are more killers and survivors, but there's also more killers and survivors coming, and I feel like we could devote an entire episode to all of that because uh, the developers over at Dead by Daylight have big plans uh which i like uh the the lore's real written real well like horror stuff uh when it comes to the killers the survivor lore is noticeably lacking but regardless it's it's a lot less fun to write it's a lot less fun to write so and especially considering these guys are avid horror movie fanatics if you can tell by even the other franchises they've gotten to join some of the other characters that show up are leatherface freddy krueger and like characters from saw yeah. So, it's kind of cool. Um, but that's all I got for Dead by Daylight. 
Uh, as we like to end every episode, Nick, what have you been playing? So I picked up the DLC for Mario and Rabbids. I was um, it Donkey Kong? Yeah, Donkey Kong. The Donkey Kong? The Donkey Kong DLC. Um, I only played a little bit of it because I've been mostly playing the second game I'm going to talk about in a second. Um, but it's fun. I really liked the base game, so the DLC is fun, and I get... Um, you you get to play as Donkey Kong and you got Cranky Rabbit, Cranky Rabbit. or Rabbit Cranky. That's Kong. fucking awesome. Uh, but I mean, I've only played the first couple levels and I'm and I feel like it's those are like tutorial levels, like showing you like Donkey Kong's mechanics and stuff like that, and Cranky Kong's mechanics. Um, but Donkey Kong's kind of fucking broken. Um, he Is can, it? He can literally pick up any enemy, or so far he can pick up any enemy or ally. And then just carry them to somewhere and then throw them. Uh, so you can literally, I literally, there was one point where I picked up an enemy, r- ran like all the way around the map because he has like vines that can like make him go farther than like everybody else. And then like went up to another enemy that was like near a ledge, threw the enemy at the enemy, and they both bounced off the ledge and took damage because I mean, he fell off the ledge. Danky and- Kang is the best and he knows how to have that jungle groove. So, yes. Um, but the game I've been playing more is Enter the Gungeon because goddamn is that game addicting and has I've seen you me on in. it a bunch. It's so much fun and I'm just getting better each time I play it. Um, and it's really fun. And like discovering all like the secrets and shit, um, and like trying to unlock, trying to unlock things and getting fucked over. There was, there's like a, a statue that's like a, a D20 with like, like a like a face and I, pretty much the what I understand is you you go up to it and you talk to it and it's a random thing what happens and it fucked my health up so Did apparently it? I rolled bad because I was at like full that health f- full health and it brought me down to like half a heart so I was like well fuck I'm not touching this anymore that one um but yeah it's really it's really fucking fun um and then other than that just Pokemon Go um I've been doing that much. I've been fucking trying all week to find a Porygon raid. Can't um, find any. I'm sitting on three quests that are all the same, and it's do a level raid three or higher, and the reward would be a Dratini. And I'm trying to get a good IV Dratini to finally get a Dragonite because I've been sitting on enough candies forever, just haven't had an, a good Dratini that I wanted to use the candies to evolve. I've been trying to find a Porygon raid because they're three star and I can solo those and I also need the candies to stack up before it leaves the raid whenever the fuck that happens so I can get a Porygon too but I just fucking can't find one I was literally driving around between work and coming here I found like only Reggie raids yep that's all I've been saying and like all the other times before when like the only raids I cared about was like legendary raids I could never fucking find them and now that I don't give a shit I just yeah. want like Porygons. I can't fucking find yeah, anything I, but Reggies. Now that I have a Reggie steal, because um, I, I caught one the other day with Bro. Uh, we uh, last Saturday we ended up at the Providence Place Mall. Um, shout out to the locals. If uh, and uh, we were with a bunch of uh, people who wanted to go shopping, and Bro and I absolutely didn't want to go shopping, so we did the Reggie steal raid that was in the middle of the mall. <laughs> And bro did not catch it. He's caught a couple, so that wasn't his first one. That was my first one. Yeah, I caught it first ball. 
couldn't catch it in 13 balls. Damn. I was like, wow, dude. Want to talk about it? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's about it. They, yeah, so I've been trying to fucking do that so I could get a good Dratini. And also, like, I don't want to get rid of those quests because I want to try and that's three chances to get a good Dratini. Right. But, like, they just added Spinda, and the only way to get Spinda is through que- is through uh, field research quests. So, like, I can't pick one of those up until I get rid of my Dratini ones. So, it's kind of annoying. I, um... And then I have I have a Mewtwo raid tomorrow. Have fun. Yeah. I, uh, don't. <laughs> I, uh... All I've been playing, really, is Fortnite. I've been doing other things other than playing games, uh, especially over the last 24 hours. Yeah. Because fuck me, um, I, I'm. We'll get to it. But I've been playing a lot of Fortnite, and um, yeah, it's just a really chill game to play, in my opinion. Just a lot of fun, having a lot of fun. Bought up, bought another uni. Moist merman. I look like the creature from the Black Lagoon, and I'm really fucking hyped about <laughs> oh my it. God, I'm really. He's got like a stupid tongue sticking out of his mouth. It's like an obvious rubber suit. I'm so fucking hyped about it. So I've been running around as the Moist Merman. Um, moist. In D and D corner, um, we we fought a bunch of stuff last week or yesterday. We fought a bunch of stuff. However, some changes are being made. I'm looking forward to it. I'm just not ready for it. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Like I have a lot of preparing to do and not a lot of time to do all the. Pre- I, our DM doesn't want to DM anymore. Uh so I said I would. Uh, which is fine. We're going to transition this campaign from Storm King's Thunder to Curse of Strahd because I'm more familiar with Strahd. But um, I have a lot of things I have to do to prepare for this, including, oh, I don't know, learning how to DM. Yeah, boy. So I got to go pick up a bunch of books from Bro that I forgot yesterday because I'm an idiot. Um, so... I gotta go do that, and then I'm reading a bunch of stuff on how to run Strodwell, and I'm literally listening to an audiobook that is a called I Strod, which is a um because Strod's been around for a while. Yeah. Uh the the character has. So it's a basically the biography of Strod from Strod's perspective. So it's an unreliable narrative kind of book, which I really kind of dig. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but um Yeah, so I got a DM and I'm I want to try some things. And I hope the party doesn't hate me. As <laughs> <laughs> long as they're fun. I hope they are. Um, I'm going to try to get you all out of your shell and make you roleplay more. Get fucked. <laughs> so, anyway, yeah. that's That's what I'm going to be doing for the next week. Is yeah. getting ready for that. Yeah. So we might go take a road trip to Bros and go get the books I need. That's fine. Um, I'm probably gonna slightly change my character. I have to look into it more, but right now I'm a half elf sorcerer. I kind of want to be a warforged sorcerer. And if that's what you want to do, I can actually fit that into the campaign narratively. So if that's what you, if that's what you want to do, no pressure. Right. I know. I like. I do like the concept of it. Sounds really cool to me. I. We just need to find like stats and stuff and like see if it's worth doing yeah absolutely because uh, i don't want to limit myself warforge are definitely more warriors but you could totally do a warforge sorcerer yeah i so. mean they're magical yeah so. so well i just want yeah 
like I said, we just have to look that up, and I want to see like the stats and stuff. So we're doing a bunch of weird things with our Dungeons and Dragons campaign. I'm also starting my secondary campaign, my other campaign on uh, a Saturday on Saturday from the day of this recording. So in a couple days from this recording, uh, which ironically enough is also Curse of Strahd, but it'll be I'm doing more. I'm taking more liberties with the campaign because a we're going into this more powerful than we should be. Yes. And B, uh, I want to. And isn't that the beauty of being a dungeon master? So, Oh, it is. So if I want to change how the story goes, I'm going to do that. Uh, just kind of use Strahd as the template and then move and shift things how I need to. But I'm also, because uh, the session where we did City Life was probably the most fun we've had in a long, long time. Although I had some fucking fun yesterday. Because I was fighting a hill giant by myself. Yeah, and then, like... <laughs> and we, I won. We convinced our rogue to ride it, like, God of War style. Yeah, we convinced the rogue to ride, ride, a, one troll. Of the, ride a troll God of War style. Yeah, so anyway, that, I mean, that, that was all fun, but, like, city life was a lot of fun the week before. I want to kind of play on that more. Because I think we had a good energy when we did it, so I'm going to. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, and then uh, our dungeon master is going to join the campaign, taking my place as i think he wanted to be a dwarf cleric yeah that or he or paladin he hasn't or decided paladin, yet. he hasn't decided yet wanted to be a gnome for a minute if you were like a fucking yeah, warforged so, he could tinker on so then me. he could tinker on you like just weird shit um i also sent you a video earlier have you had the chance to watch it yet nope uh we'll watch it together after this uh it's from a uh youtube channel called web dm which is a brilliantly named and B, uh, really informative and really interesting. So if you are big into the tabletop RPGs, WebDM. The fuck just fell? I think ice in the, the fridge, because we have the fridge unplugged. Oh. But if you're into that shit, WebDM, check it out. Pretty good. It would. Um, that's all for me. Yeah, that's all I got too. Okay, check us out on social media. We are on both Twitter and Instagram, at Navi underscore Tales. Again, at Navi underscore Tales. Send us pictures of the people you've killed in video games. Um, <laughs> we'll see. That you last next. part's important. <laughs> that last part's super important. We'll see you next time. Goodbye. Love you. Yeet. Yeet. Hey, we're good. I like how we're using that for sound tests now. Yeet one two three. Yeet one two. Three. <laughs> Very fucked up. What the fuck? Dwight was a geeky and scrawny was a geeky. Was a geeky. He was a geeky. I am a geeky. Hi, I'm a geeky. I'm a geeky. Her new favorite activity is to answer botany questions for others under her new monarchy of science girl. It's moniker. Moniker, yeah. Monarchy is like yeah. anarchy for monkeys. Yeah. It's like what happened on the moon in Overwatch. Ooh. Ooh deep cut lore. Winston. <laughs> Her new favorite. 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 I didn't say okay, Google. Fuck you. Okay, Google. It's not, in the, it's not my voice. <coughs> <coughs> ah, don't, babe. When he's... Removing the brutal. Uh, removing the... Mm. She may have gone too far with... Bleh. Howling winds whipped at her hair as she stumbled through the swamp. Her rain-drenched dress plastered her stool.
Slipping in and out of consciousness, she tr- she strained her oh, fuck in the cellar amid rotting corpses. Copses. Copses. Shoo up, be doo. It's not how you spell breath. Yeah. Fucking silly bitch. <laughs> I'm so mad that they put base Goku and base Vegeta in Fighter Z. Why? Why do we need base Goku and base Vegeta? When we already have Super Saiyan Goku, Super Saiyan Vegeta, and Super Saiyan Blue Goku and Super Saiyan Blue Vegeta. Like, why are we wasting two DLC slots with base Goku and base Vegeta? I just want to go Kaioken. I don't know what you want from me. Fucking Super Saiyan Blue's Goku's three-bar smash is... Um, just let me Ka- go Kaioken. You go Kaioken in that. You go Super Saiyan Blue Kaioken. Nah. It's not the same. You don't get mad at me. All the time. So the thing for that... That Constantine... Show? Animated thing. But, like, I don't recognize any of this footage, so I feel like it's new. Oh, that'd be dope. And now it's just showing shit from the live-action show. And I don't know why. It's because everything I love never happens. Because John Constantine was a great show, and then they canceled it. Because it didn't make the same numbers that they expected it to make. Because it was originally premiering on NBC. And then not CW. So it made CW numbers, not NBC numbers. So NBC was like, ah, fuck it. We're going to cancel this show, even though it left on a cliffhanger. And the actor that we got to play John Constantine's fucking flawless. Fucking perfect. He's John Constantine. I know. Like, the only person who looks more like John Constantine in this world is a young Sting, the guitarist for U2. And the reason is because John Constantine's based on Sting. So, like, 